If it's happening now, we're talking about it. This is Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson on 900 CHML. Hey, it's the first day of school in Hamilton Today. Mask up, kiddos. I'm Curtis Thompson, Scott's son, along with Ted, Diana, and Lisa, and the production prowess of Still Will Erskine. And now your host, Scott Thompson! All right, it is Hamilton Today. Poll question of the day, the results from yesterday. The question was, do you support... Uh, mandatory vaccination and the result drum roll please this uh, morning with rick zamperin on good morning uh hamilton 74 percent saying yes 26 percent saying no that's the poll question of the day for yesterday uh today the poll question of the day is our protesters the protesters uh at justin trudeau's campaign uh stops are they helping or hurting his re-election bid that is the poll question of the day today we've certainly seen talked about that quite a bit yesterday uh with uh you know somebody as he's getting on the bus picks up a handful of stones and, and starts chuck them at, uh, chucking them at the prime minister as he's boarding his uh his campaign bus which you know come on what planet are we on here uh so are these protests at jt's campaign stops helping or hurting his re-election bid uh hit their our twitter page and of course we will uh uh, have the results coming up, the final results uh, results tomorrow uh, with Rick Zamprin on Good Morning Hamilton. All right, uh, that should be interesting to see whether that is, you know, because, again, the Prime Minister making quite a bit of hay out of this. Look at these people. You vote for me or this is what you're going to get, a, a group of hooligans, assuming that the hooligans are all his uh, opposition, of course. Hey Scott, uh, do you want to well, know? Do you want to know where it's standing at the moment? Yeah, you got it. Yeah, what are we? Where are we right now? Yeah, well, sure. this is fresh in. Uh, currently, fifty-nine percent say helping. Forty-one percent really? say hurting. There you go. Fifty-nine percent say helping. So there you go, right there. Uh, it'll be interesting to see if that changes over the course of this afternoon, and of course before uh, tomorrow morning. Top stories that we're working on. Big news today, LRT, we'll be talking about this. Uh, 11 to 3 is the vote. LRT is a go. The uh, city has voted on a uh, memorandum a memorandum of understanding, an MOU, and that basically means, all right, let's go. Let's start this process. So uh, 2022, they're saying we could actually start to see movement, uh, but the good news is uh, 11 to 3, the LRT is a, vo- is a go. We'll be talking about that coming up a little later on. Also tonight, the French debate, uh, we will carry it live. Ted's going to do the translation. That should be cool. Uh, I think it's uh, uh, French through Polish, then into English. It'd be a bit of a delay. Hang on a sec. No, apparently that's not the case. We're going to carry that live. This this is going to say, they say set the trend for the next uh, several days in the last part of this campaign. Uh, as uh, it should be fascinating to see what happens. And then the English debate, of course, is uh, is tomorrow night, uh, Thursday night, and obviously back to class for the hammer and uh, everybody making their way home. So uh, we're going to talk about that coming up a little later on. The big decision in you know moving forward is will the cases stay stable and will we be able to do. I think the kids are going to stay in class, but will we will we be able to do extracurricular activities, that sort of thing? I think that will be uh, obviously uh, the big discussion. And you know, outbreaks in Hamilton. Guess where they're coming from? Weddings, including three weddings uh, over the last uh, week or so, that have contributed greatly to the numbers that uh, we are seeing. Uh, in Hamilton right now, which uh, is concerning. That's what they're saying. It's these large gatherings. You know, you're double vaccinated. You still got to be aware of what's going on. And you certainly have to uh, keep, of course, uh, with the protocol. Uh, first day of school, first day of school for uh, those in Hamilton. Halton started yesterday. And uh, Don Danko, chair of the Hamilton Wentworth District School uh, School Board, was on with Rick Zamprin uh, earlier on this morning and uh, talking about this nervous day and, and what the first day of school school was like? Well, I, I'm not just the chair, I'm a parent as well. So I think I have the, the same first day jitters that many families and many parents have. Um, but I'm also really excited today, knowing that people around Hamilton are getting their children ready to go to school in person after such a long time online and having summer break. I know for, for my family and for many families I've spoken to, it's it's so critical that they're back in person. That is Don Danko, chair of the Hamilton-Wentworth District School Board, on with Rick Zamprin. Good morning, Hamilton, earlier this morning. 
morning. And now, of course, kids getting out. So be cautious. Drive with care if you are out and about and whipping around through the hoods. Uh, slow it down because the kids uh, are, in fact, getting out of school now as they finish up day number one. And, you know, really, it's like Halloween. They may have masks on. It could impair their vision. So, you know, at the end of the day, be extra careful. Lots of excitement and, and so exciting to finally uh, see the kids back at school. I want to I want to play one more clip of Don Danko, uh, chair of the Hamilton Wentworth District School Board, uh, and, and asking uh, Rick asked a question in regard to what they were concerned most about, what they're receiving the most questions from parents on. Listen to this. Well, some of the questions that have already emerged, um, some parents wondering, can I switch? I've made a choice to be in remote, and I think I want to go in person or vice versa. And parents have until September 10th to fill out a form if they'd like to request a change in the deliveries, because we are welcoming students online right now as well today. Um, but other questions that are emerging, you know, tend to be about, well, what are the protocols? What will athletics look like? How can we do athletics when cases are going up in the community? And that's where we're trying to make sure that we're providing really effective communication, regular communication with families so that they have the information they need. Uh, some things are still emerging. We're, we're collaborating with public health and with our coterminous board to make sure that we're being a little more cautious this fall uh, than we would hope to be with cases rising. But again, um, as long as we're taking all of the layered safety measures like screening, masking, distancing, cohorting, all of it, um, we know that we can minimize the risk of spread in schools as much as possible. Don Danko, chair of the Hamilton Wentworth uh, District School Board, on with Rick Zamper this morning, talking about concerns and questions uh, from parents. And, uh, you know, uh, kudos to all of those involved. Uh, it looks like uh, we're in a good spot right now. And uh, and moving forward uh, with the school year should not be a problem at this, uh, at this point. Obviously, we have heard several times over, it is important for the kids to be in school. A lot of anxiety, uh, obviously, to do with the pandemic in just the first day of school period. Let's bring in Dr. Todd Cunningham, professor with the Ontario Institute for Studies in Education at the University of Toronto and is with us now. Doctor, thank you for the time. I hope you're doing well. I am and hope you're doing well too. Uh, I'm doing well that we've at least got over this first hump, this first hurdle. Uh, do you think kids are getting used to this? It's uh, How do you compare this September to past and, and, and the new normal per se? Well, I think kids are getting pretty used to this. You know, we've been practicing social distancing now for um, over 18 months and masking. So I think kids are getting used to it. I think what's always um, surprising, though, is that this return this year is not going to be the same as past years. What we're seeing in the classroom is going to be different. And both the students, parents, and teachers are going to need to be prepared for some of those differences. Different in what way from last year? Well, different in the fact that students might be more excited to actually be returning to school, especially those who've had a lot Mm. of disruptions last year. You know, they haven't necessarily seen their friends as much as they did over the, you know, past summers. So they're going to be very excited to see each other coming back. At the same time, there's going to be some students who are actually, you know, have not been in large groups for a very long time. Mm. And so their students are actually going to possibly feel more anxious. And so, especially with our younger students, we might be seeing actually more separation anxiety going on. Kids might be finding that right now as they're taking their kids to drop them off and, you know, little ones are holding them onto the leg still or more yeah. tears at that separation period or even the night before continuously talking about how they don't or want to go back or their worries about going back. And that reminds me of a picture I saw on social media today. And there's a picture of a, of a, of a little girl, you know, probably seven or eight years old, a six years old, something like that. And she's holding on to her backpack and she's all excited. And her brother's next to her on the floor crying a couple of years younger. And it's just, it, it's so different depending upon uh, the child and the situation. How do you think they're feeling after today? Getting that one day under the belt. How do you think they feel? How much easier or will it be today? Or for well, tomorrow. Each day is going to be easier and easier as they kind of reclimatize. You know, I think one thing teachers are thinking about right now is that, again, last year was not a typical year. Some students were online for the full year. Other students were starting and stopping throughout the year. And so part of what was lost was kind of the school culture. You know, just some of the routines about lining up, mm. sitting in on the carpet, transitioning from carpet to the desk. 
And so teachers are going to have to be mindful of that as they kind of reestablish those routines and those kind of school rituals of what's going on. And students are going to kind of start learning those again, getting used to those. They're going to learn that there are more kind of constraints on their on their days versus kind of some of the freedoms they might have had um, over last year in the online learning or um, over the summer. But as they get used to those rituals and those routines again, you know, students will be feeling kind of safe, feeling acclimatized, knowing what to expect, and the school year will really get up and going. What about the mask effect, Doctor? Uh, Again, we've got uh, a year and a bit of this under our belt. I was reading a a story earlier on today, and one of the parents was quoted as saying, "Uh, despite all of this and the protocol, it still felt like normal. As Referring to what you were saying, it's great just to get back into uh, the setting again. But what about the mask effect and long-term effects of that? Yeah, last year the conversation was all about the mask. How is the mask going to obstruct the, you know, a lot of those nonverbal cues to um, the students? How will students be able to read their teachers' faces or hear what their teachers are saying? I think now that we've got a good year under our belt, we know that that's not impacting all students at the same degree. There are definitely some students who might have some language processing challenges who do find the mask kind of... Um, harder to be able to read their their teachers or understand what the teachers are saying. But for the vast majority of students, they're pretty used to the math, except for when it gets sweaty after running around yeah. outside for a bit. Um, still find students don't like wearing wet, foggy mask. Yeah, really. Uh, advice to parents who still may be having some anxiety and some situation uh, with their kids even after the first day. What advice would you have? Yeah, and again, this is the same advice that we give parents every year, especially around the return. And the big thing is just to listen, non-judgmentally. Listen to students talk about or their children talk about what their concerns are. Um, create an opportunity for, for that to actually, for that conversation to take place, either around the dinner time or a walk or even when laying down and putting them to sleep at night. Create an opportunity to check in with them and see how things are going and then listen. Um, don't react to the what they're talking about, but really just listen and reflect back about what their concerns may be. And then together, this is really important, that both parents and the child work together and coming up with a plan to be able to work around those um, challenges. So maybe a kid's uh, child's feeling that their friend is getting too close to them um, in the schoolyard and they want a little bit more distance. Well, then practice how to tell a friend to keep their distance for, um, from mm-hmm. them. And how do you identify who are those safe people in the school to go to if you're feeling that your safety is in, in jeopardy or something's not right? So it's really important for parents to listen and help their um, child come up with those plans. Great advice. Dr. Todd Cunningham with us, professor with the Ontario Institute for Studies in Education at the University of Toronto, talking about back to class. Uh, Todd, thank you so much for the time and insight. Much appreciated. Be well. You too. Thanks. Send us a note, Scott Thompson at 900CHML.com. All right, let's bring in Dr. Colin Furness, epidemiologist at the University of Toronto's Dal Atlanta School of Public Health, and is with us now. Doctor, thanks for the time. I hope you're doing well. I am. Thank you. Uh, uh, Doctor, one of the reasons I'm calling, uh, we're starting to see and hear more about, and all of you uh, health officials have been talking about this throughout this this, uh, 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 the uh, pandemic that we have, and that is large gatherings. And we're hearing of three weddings in Hamilton that uh, generated up to 35 cases. Obviously, concerns about uh, universities such as Western or even up what's happening in the Kitchener-Waterloo area. Talk a little bit about those large gatherings. And even though we're fully vaccinated, man, you still got to watch what we're doing here. Absolutely. And when you see the thing is, I think it's key to say, yes, when we're fully vaccinated, when you don't know, when you're at a wedding, when you're at a large gathering and you don't know uh, who's vaccinated and who's not, then you're unable to assess the risk. And so then it's just sort of based on blind trust. I'm going to a wedding because I want to go to the wedding and I'm sure it will be fine. And and often it will, but it won't necessarily, especially if there's a lot or even a few people there who are not vaccinated. It's important to understand if someone is not vaccinated and they're maximally contagious, they're in that pre-symptomatic period, they don't know they're sick, they can make vaccinated people sick and in some cases can make them very sick. So it's not a question of saying to yourself, I'm vaccinated, how bad can it be? The important thing is to say, if there's unvaccinated people there, it can be very bad. It's a different way of thinking. 
Uh, surprised at 35 cases out of three weddings in Hamilton? Not really surprised. The thing about people who are not vaccinated, and there's a lot of reasons for it, right? There's, there's, I, I don't want to just paint them all with one brush. Mm-hmm. But for people who are not vaccinated, they're not distributed at random. They tend to occur in clumps. They occur together. They occur because they have the same social circles. They have the same values. They may have the same religion. They may have the same occupation. They may have the same geography. There's a lot of different things that make people uh, think alike. And a concept called homophily, which is we tend to hang out with people who think in similar ways to us. Mm. It reduces arguing. It makes, makes being with other people more bearable. And so if you get one person who's not vaccinated at a wedding, they're probably part of a whole family who's not vaccinated or a whole social circle. And so, you know, maybe some weddings are fully vaxxed, but there'd be a lot of weddings where more than a random number of people would be unvaxxed. You bring up a very uh, interesting point, Doctor. Uh, Should we then be asking? Should we ask before we go? Well, I'm, I'm not going and sharing air with anybody indoors without knowing what their vaccination status so I will not go to a restaurant and eat indoors. That's a that's a, an incredibly unsafe thing to do because you don't know everyone's vaccination status. Now in in Quebec the 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 laws are a little, lot stricter as they are in Ontario. And I know in Ontario starting soon you need to be vaccinated, but not the people who work there. So we still don't know. So that's that's the rule. If you're going to go to a wedding or if you're going to go to any event at all and you're sharing indoor air, either you know everyone's vaccination status or you don't, and and you're taking risk if you don't. Hmm. Uh, obviously, university back. We certainly know what the first week of university is for students. We've all been there, uh, hearing some situations around Western and Waterloo and such. Uh, shots of large groups of people. Your thoughts? I've seen. I'm seeing that at the University of Toronto as well, and and part of it is to be expected after a year and a half of such privation, and that mm. that opening week or two, especially for undergrads. Uh, orientation week, frosh week, it's actually so important socially, it's pretty hard to repress it. And if the rule at the university is you have to be vaccinated, it ought to be safe. It ought to feel safe. My worry in this this situation is the proportion of people who are forging their vaccine credentials because we don't have a robust system we don't have anything that 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 would stand any kind of scrutiny in terms of security or integrity you can make your own vaccine documentation using photoshop or or even powerpoint and you know upload that and say see i'm done we're not talking about what the penalties are we're not talking about auditing we're not talking about uh the importance of being honest here and so i worry in the university crowd not necessarily the most responsible age group um, that there's going to be problems like that. There was a university in the U.S. where they claim 95% of students vaccinated, 98% of staff, or maybe it was the other way around, and they had a super spreader event with hundreds of cases. And I look at that and I say, this doesn't add up, right? And the, the plausible explanation is a lot of people simply pretending and claiming vaccination. So that's what I'm worried about. And I think on campuses around Ontario, if we see significant outbreaks and the rules say you need to be vaxxed, we know what's going on, and, and we should have anticipated that. Uh, you, you talked about the profile of a wedding. You could see people that, that have, have a tendency to have the same beliefs. What about that profile in a university setting like what we're seeing now? Well, universities are, are going to be very different I think in terms of their catchment, in terms of who they attract. The bigger the city the university's in, usually the more diverse the student body, and so it becomes harder to talk about. But from a demographic standpoint, more generally, the, my big worry and the lowest vaccinated group, age sex group in every jurisdiction, as far as I know, are males 18 to 29, so university-age males. And I point that out because when you average them with the females, the, uh, the numbers look better because females always take better care of their health. And, and this is just sort of one more data point on, in, in that reality. Um, but, you know, men hang out together, right? Guys hang out together doing whatever they're doing. And so you actually need to think about that subpopulation. And the news isn't as good. Um, so I think that's something that universities need to tackle. And, I, you know, I haven't seen great interventions aimed at that demographic, apart from the requirement to be vaccinated to go to bars and to go to sporting events and, and, and those sorts of things. And that, of course, takes us back to, are we protecting against forged credentials? Because that, that's going to matter. Doctor, as always, thank you so much for the time. Be well. Catch up on the news and information you've missed. This is Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson on 900 CHML. Ted Michaels is with us. Yep. It's time for another edition of Countdown yep. to Ted. Uh, 98 15th. days. 98 days. 90- <laughs> 
Now, do you have a calendar at home like, <laughs> in the kitchen? <laughs> and every day you're doing you know, like you know, you like the, the prisoners. You, yes. you know, like the prisoners. They put an X through them. <laughs> that's it. That's it. So, what is it? Is it just like a nice little circle on the calendar? Or is it like like you said? Is it an actual etch into the <laughs> wall? You know. What is it I, here? No, I or, just or, may, or maybe I know what it is. You break a plate. Hey, it's another day. Break the plate. <laughs> well, 98 days sounds, I, I I don't know if it sounds quicker than three months or three months anyway. It's just right. over three months away. All right. So uh, w- what we're going to do with this portion of the show is we're going to focus. Ted's going to tell us a great old radio story. Yep. And, and, and hark back on his career of uh, 93. What, what, how long was it? <laughs> and don't forget tomorrow. Tomorrow, uh, Ted's yep. picking the song. Yep. Should you give him a hint? It's the no. first song you ever. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, actually, yeah. I, I it's mean, the first I song you ever played yesterday. So yeah, yeah. we'll leave you'll, it at that. You'll hear it at that. Yeah. All right. So, uh, what is your memorable moment? Well, what stands out for you? The year was 1991, and I was working here at CHML. Now, we were, of course, heavily involved as we are now, but uh, heavily involved then with the Tiger Cat broadcast, and that was the year that John Candy. Bruce McNall and Wayne Gretzky purchased a Toronto Argonauts. Oh, wow. Now, one of the things that I used to do was uh, do the pregame show. Remember the hometown radio in the yep. end zone? Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. It was yeah. a small little studio. Remember in the bridge? No, it was a giant plastic boombox like <laughs> well, a thing. Yeah, and then inside but, it, they made, a, they made but, like a, uh, yeah, a studio. a studio. But it harkens back to the movie The Bridge on the River Kwai. When they used to throw the prisoners in that little box, close the door, <laughs> right? And it'd be really hot, and you'd come out, and you'd... Oh, bl- that's the way it would... Because we had a guy there named Rick who would... Yeah, the AC's working. Yeah, <laughs> it wasn't. It was stuffy as hell. Hey. Anyway... <laughs> Anyway, hey, that's like doing. Hey, that's like doing the tree lighting every Christmas, pal. So don't even go there. Hey, Murph, is there propane in the heater? Oh yeah, there's lots of propane. Don't worry about that. It'll be just snug as a bug in a rug. Once again, engineering. Anyway, so I'm sitting there and I'm trying to get. Uh, because it's a preseason game, and I'm trying to get John Candy, obviously, to come on the air with me before the game starts. Nice. So I'm sitting there I'm in the end zone. Of course, this is under the scoreboard, so I'm looking out toward the field just after, and, and kickoff is 7.30. So just after 7 o'clock, David Braley, rest in peace, who set up the interview, I see him coming across the field with John Candy. And I'm oh, thinking to myself, wow. this really, <laughs> this is really going to happen. So John yeah. Candy comes in the, in the studio, and we're chatting away, Scott, about, you know, whatever. And he's such a nice guy. And mm. then I remember at one point he said something about the business part of the Argos. So, of course, and I kind of knew that he was the pro, but I kind of, you know, thought, okay, here it comes. John, what would the Schmengi brothers think about what you just said? <laughs> Here's his response. It's on Schmengi record. It's two records set, and here we are, uh, looking back, looking back like the title. And on the other side here, and on the back, there we are, looking the other way, the other way. Well, he actually, he 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 actually bit. He bit in the the Schmangy brothers' voice. I was on oh. the floor. What a nice so, man! And, and I know, like every time, every I don't think I've, you've told me that story. I don't no. think I've heard that story. No. But uh, we have talked about uh, John Candy yep. and Second City many yep. times oh. over the years. And I know that one of your favorite uh, sketches was the Schmengi brothers. <laughs> yeah. So for you to actually Schmengi with one of the brothers, I'm that was pretty you, cool. You know, cabbage rolls and coffee the whole bit. I bought the <laughs> album from KTEL. <laughs> Operators were standing by. I bought the album. They were looking one way, and then they turned. They looked the other way. But anyway, he was he was an absolutely oh. delightful man, and I so was so upset when, like all of us, but yeah. boy, and you know, as a sidebar, you watch the Second City stuff now, Scott. Years ahead of its time, freaking yeah. hilarious. It, that is so true. That is so true. And it's uh, like you said, it, you would assume that John Candy would be exactly like you yep. picture him to be on camera. That yep. he would just be that jovial guy, and obviously, that's the way it, he was. So yep. I mean, that's it's nice that. You, that he he lived up to that image you had. Yep. It's on Schmengi record. <laughs> Just in case it's you know. Record set, and here we are, uh, looking back, looking back like the title. And on the other side here, and on the back, here we are looking down the right. Now, 
Were anyway. you snorting in front of John Candy <laughs> no, that I'm way just, too? Is that's that that, that actually All isn't right. exactly what he said. But I, I, you know, it's funny. I found I found the actual interview that I had with him, but I can't. I didn't get a chance to to get a dub off and talk. Yeah, about if you get a chance to pull any of that stuff uh, out, man, we'd like to hear it. I'm you trying. Know? I'm trying. Yeah, it's like, can we find an old analog tape recorder somewhere you can dub? You know this what? Stuff over to digital. You know what? Is there someone that what? does this stuff that's listening? You know, actually, I, I had asked, here comes uh, the engineering department. I said, this is a really stupid question. Do we have any cassette players? Yeah. <laughs> no. 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 What's no. that? <laughs> no. Yeah. Exactly. Real to real? Forget it. Ask Lisa what that is. Yeah. Uh, anyway, another great story. Thank Ted, you. Thanks so All much. Right. And uh, another countdown to Ted uh, and, and his, uh, his, his uh, I guess, brush with a Schmengi brother. Uh, December 15th, day 98 today. Another countdown uh to ted all right tonight the second french language debate takes place uh english debate coming up uh thursday and of course uh as this rate uh, race tightens up obviously these debates are going to be quite important let's bring in michael tobe troy media syndicated columnist contributor to the washington times and as well former speechwriter for stephen harper he is with us now thank you for the time michael i hope you're doing well yes hope you are too scott First of all, Michael, how come there's two French debates and there's only one English? <laughs> yeah, I know. You know, I've been asked this by other hosts as well. And the rationale is, I would think, and I'm just thinking this to myself, Trudeau obviously sees a benefit to having two French language debates, especially because I think that probably his people, when they, or his staff, his senior advisors, mandarins, whatever you wish to call them, when they were looking at the tea leaves, supposed to, so to speak, and trying to figure out what could potentially happen during this election, my guess is that they probably favored more of an emphasis on French language debates, A, because Mr. Trudeau is bilingual, and B, because there's a lot of votes in the province, in the province of Quebec, and C, because historically, if you look at elections, with a few exceptions in mind, and more of them have happened, I'd say, in recent years than in previous years, Quebec often serves as one of the most important provinces during an election, and the number of seats you win there is beneficial to you. So my guess is that's why it happened. But regardless of that, Scott, it's wrong, in theory. It is wrong, and it should be changed, because this just creates divisiveness, Michael. This should be changed. Yeah, absolutely. No, there should either be one French-language debate, one English-language debate, or yeah. two of each, or whatever. I mean... It doesn't, and if you want three, four, five, it doesn't make a difference. It should have been equitable. And for that reason, I think a lot of people are going to look at this, although we know in modern politics that obviously leaders' debates don't mean as much as they used to, and they don't move the political needle very much either. I think a lot of people, certainly in English Canada, where the bulk of the votes are, are going to be looking at us and saying, well, it, it's illogical what they're doing. And I agree with you. I would hope that the 2021 federal election with three debates, that this is the last time we actually see something like this, and they go back to a more balanced approach whenever the next federal election is called. Uh, again, I just think this creates divisiveness. But who is in the hot? Who's in the hot seat tonight? Who's who's got to be on their game tonight? Well, I mean, obviously Justin Trudeau, our prime minister, is in the hot seat mainly because he's behind in every major poll. I recognize that obviously the numbers are very close. It mm-hmm. doesn't matter whether you're looking at Ipsos. Nanos, Angus Reid, etc., etc. It's all within margin of error, about two to three percent. So the hot seat is really Justin Trudeau for tonight, because this is his moment where he can test some things out. He's probably going to be fiery again, much like he was during the TVA debate. I'm sure he'll come out all guns a blazing and try to make strong positions that are of matters of interest to Quebec, uh, such as issues like daycare. He will certainly obviously push the mandatory vaccines for a bit. But the test area, I think, is going to be guns. Even though the issue, which I'm sure you've talked about on your previous shows. Here we go again, Michael. My goodness. Well, but it's unfortunately, look, I don't think this issue should be discussed that forcefully. I agree with you. And when what we've noticed is that after the whole kerfuffle, if you want to call that, between assault weapons and assault style weapons was finally basically put aside when Aaron O'Toole, the conservative leader, stated directly that there's going to be a ban on all types of assault weapons until a public review has been conducted. With that in mind, though, obviously Justin Trudeau is going to try to get out of his bag of tricks, do what liberals always do, and try to just basically create these smoke and mirrors of, 
you know, Tories being extreme, out of touch, hidden agenda, and this is a classic example of it, even if it's complete nonsense. Uh, our poll question of the day today, Michael, are the protests that are following Justin Trudeau along the campaign trail helping or hurting his re-election campaign? 60% say it's helping his campaign. Uh, what are your thoughts about the protests? Well, I mean, obviously people are entitled to their own opinion. I don't think they are. In fact, I don't either. In fact, I don't see any evidence of it whatsoever. And I think that, unfortunately, what's happened is, and look, not to be nasty to your city, Hamilton is a fine city, great restaurants, great atmosphere. It also has a tradition on the political left, either with the liberals and the NDP. And I think that basically it's very skewed that way. Not unique. Other cities like Toronto, where I live, Windsor and others have done this, too. But I think, quite frankly, to be to be nice, I think people are looking at this incorrectly. It's not helping or hindering. I think it's actually had a nothing effect overall. Yes, it's it's awful for democracy when any federal leader, be it Justin Trudeau, someone on the right or someone on the left or whomever, gets attacked that way. You don't want to see it. It's one thing to protest. Protest is part of our democracy. It's part of our democratic process, and we should always defend it. When you start throwing things like rocks, stones, otherwise, then you've reached a completely different barrier where there's no dividing line between protesting someone you dislike, that being Justin Trudeau, and then taking it into a, another direction. It's the same way when you use, you know, when you swear at someone as well. Sure, the swear words aren't going to necessarily cause any damage. It's not going to change things one way or the other, but it just creates a weakness when it comes to hoping for more intellectual discourse in our society on the one hand, and ensuring that democracy operates properly so that all politicians on the left and the right can obviously say their piece, make their points, state their platform, and then people can make their decisions one way or the other. But do I think this is helping him? Absolutely not. Uh, what do you uh, what do you think we're going to see between the block and uh, the block leader and the liberal leader tonight? What do you uh, because obviously there's a lot at stake here for the block. Oh, absolutely. The Bloc Québécois seem to be doing all right. I mean, although when you look obviously at national polls, they're sitting at six percent. That's not real because the yeah. Bloc only runs candidates in one province. So mm -hmm. of course it's going to be lower. Uh, the Bloc seems to be doing fairly well. Yves-François Blanchet, the leader, uh, was very smooth and did very well during the TVA debate last week, and there's no reason that he won't do well here. I mean, for the Bloc Québécois, love them or hate them, they're around and they're going to win seats and they're going to win a lot of them. I think they want to ensure that they solidify their position and the number of seats they can potentially win and try to bump it up based on the fact that Justin Trudeau and the Liberals are not doing extremely well in the polls they're doing okay in Quebec. It'll be a good battle, but I think for Mr. Planchette, what he basically has to do is just continue to pepper our Prime Minister as hard as he can with certain ideas and concepts of what Quebec really wants, what Quebec needs, certain programs that have been put forward, and whether they're effective enough. The National Daycare Program is an easy one because Quebec has a daycare program literally the same size and the same amount of money which they can sort of argue that, look, we're operating at X number of dollars and it's been successful. You're putting billions and billions into a national program, but breaking it up so much that it's not beneficial. Shouldn't you be using the Quebec model and push that along? There's lots of ways Mr. Blanchet can sort of push back. But yes, I think not necessarily a make or break situation for him tonight, but obviously he needs to do well. Because in the English language debate, it's meaningless for Mr. Blanchet. That basically is like Aaron O'Toole being in the French language debates. You're just trying to hold your own, and that's about all you can sort of expect. So for him, especially going against Justin Trudeau, he's got to hammer hard. 8 p.m. tonight, and of course we'll cover it here on CHML. That is the French language debate. Michael Tobe with us, Troy Media syndicated columnist, contributor to the Washington Times, former speechwriter for Stephen Harper, and you can hear him even more on the Roy Green Show. Good work, Michael. Thanks very much for the time. Keep him busy. Take care. I'll have a good day. <laughs> good for you. 
Forget about his two cents. Scott has an entire vault filled with opinions. This is Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson on 900 CHML. All right, as it's been announced, uh, uh, the uh, Memorandum of Understanding uh, voted on uh, regarding the LRT. Council voting 11 to 3 to go ahead. To talk more about all of this, Larry DeAnne with us, former mayor of the city of Hamilton and with us now. Larry, thank you for the time. I hope you're doing well. Well, Scott, I'm doing very, very well, and so nice to hear from you again. It is, and your thoughts on, and man, we have talked about this a bazillion times, your thought on we're finally where we are and the journey to get here, and is this it? Is this the last bump in the road? Well, of course, this is Hamilton, so it's never the last bump <laughs> in the road, but it's a significant milestone, Scott. Uh, the importance of uh, council committee uh, having voted overwhelmingly in support of this memorandum of uh, understanding is that once it's ratified by council next week, so the official uh, ratification vote by council will happen next week. And of course, that's a foregone conclusion because it was an 11-3 vote today. And so unless a lot of people change their minds, it's going to sail through again, hopefully unanimously, once the other three see that this train is headed, pardon the pun, in a certain direction, they, they might come on, they've made their point, and they might come on to make it a unanimous vote. That would be great. But once that's done, there are no more off-ramps. And that's why this is so significant. Mm-hmm. There are no more opportunities to back away from this plan, to change their mind. It's a goal for the LRT B-line from McMaster University to Eastgate Square. And so that's critically important that there will not be any debate about whether it happens, but rather we focus now on the implementation, the execution. Uh, obviously, there were several hiccups along the way. It started, it stopped. It, you know, all of we, we certainly know the history here. Um, obviously, three levels of government and everybody coming together made this happen. Is that the deciding factor here? Once you, because I remember at the beginning of all this, well, as long as they pay for it, we're in. And then they came with a check. And even at the time, Premier Wynne was saying, you know, take the check. What's the problem here? Um, but but now we've got all three levels of government involved. How important was that? Well, you know what? It's almost um, unprecedented. I, I mean, I cannot remember too many occasions when a controversial project had the blessing of all levels of government. Um, I, you know, during my tenure, we of course built the uh, the expressway, <clears throat> the parkway, uh, as it's called, uh, um, and uh, uh, the province was in on funding, the city was in on funding. But the federal government of the day was providing some roadblocks, and we had to deal with that. In fact, there was some lawsuits involved in that as well. So in this case, you've got, again, another controversial project, um, at least in the minds of some uh, Hamiltonians. But all three levels are in. And they're not only in in terms of, um, you know, their, their words, but they're in in terms of their money to the tune of $3.4 billion. That's billion with a B. That's a significant investment for our city. I mean, it's, it's cause for celebration. And you've gotta, you've gotta acknowledge the work that was done, first of all, by Mayor Fred Eisenberger, mm-hmm. who fought several elections on this, one specifically on this issue, uh, and was tenacious, even when the province pulled the funding. We remember that day. Yep. Uh, he was tenacious in, in shepherding this through. So I think this is a legacy project for Fred, uh, but also the other councillors who came on board, and some with concerns. And let's not forget that Councillor Whitehead, uh, who's on sick leave and hopefully coming back this month, uh, was instrumental at the time in making sure that the LRT didn't stop at the traffic circle, but indeed went all the way to Eastgate Square. We remember that debate as well. So even those who were op- opposed to the project contributed, I think, to a better project. And, and um, you know, some, someday somebody will write the history uh, of, of this saga, and it'll be an interesting one.
Uh, you talked about the link. We certainly know what happened with the stadium and then the LRT. Uh, you know, the common uh, mantra is one step forward, two steps back. Is this a new era for Hamilton? Is this a new feeling? Is this different this time, Larry? Well, what's different about it, of course, is that um, is that uh, not only do we have, I, I think, what will be a transformational project um, for the city <clears throat> along along the route for sure, but for the entire city in terms of the spin-off benefits, uh, I think I think um, it, it signals that with determination, strength, and perseverance, uh, you can get things done. And even those who are naysayers on council, uh, or at least the critics, not not on council, but I'm talking about the citizen critics, I've got to I've got to I think concede that this was a task that was arduous, but it was accomplished. And, and of course, now there will be hiccups because once you start putting shovels in the ground, you know, problems yeah. will occur. But, but this is a significant achievement for the city, and I'm very proud of the city for having done it. Well said. Uh, what happens now? What's the process now? Well, there are so many things. Uh, of course, you know, if you read the memorandum of agreement that's filled with uh, who does what and who shares what and who's responsible for what, uh, but but you know in in terms of the the uh, uh, the, the, the big strokes the the, the general to do list that has to be done, uh, of course um, uh, you know they have to set a construction schedule. Uh, they 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 need to finish buying some properties. I understand they need to to set a an actual um, a schedule um, to, so that you know the citizens will know what happens when. I think the citizens, especially in the downtown, who will face some disruption. And one of the councillors, Councillor uh, Partridge, pointed out today that, you know, for, for some significant period of time, there is going to be disruption downtown. I think uh, the city needs to tell these folks uh, who access the downtown for work or pleasure uh, how they can get about even during the construction. So all of, all of those all of those important things uh are, are, are yet to, to happen, and they will. And some of them will be controversial, but they will be details that need to be ironed out as opposed to, uh, will this project happen? The project is happening, and that's important. Big day for Hamilton. Uh, the LRT is a go. Joining us, Larry Diani, former mayor for the city of Hamilton. Larry, we've talked an awful lot about it. It looks like it's finally here. Uh, a big day. Thanks so much for the time. Be well. All right, you too, Scott. Take care. LRT, finally a go. Uh, great news. 11 to 3 today. Uh, they voted in favor of a, uh, a memorandum of understanding, which basically means uh, the thing has started forward. So uh, great news. Uh, to talk more about all of this, let's bring in Ken Mann, reporter, of course, uh, down at City Hall for CHML. He is with us now. Ken, thanks for the time. Hope you're well. Doing great, Scott. How are you? Enjoying the new hours? Yeah, I'm liking it quite a bit. Thanks so much. Uh, how many times, do you have any idea how many times you have sat in on meetings regarding the LRT? What is this day like for you? Oh, I, I wouldn't even begin to know how many debates there have been over the years. It's certainly a high number. I'd uh, I'd have to go back and count all day to get you a number on that, I'm sure. But so, I mean, yeah, it, it's it's a, it's a terrific moving forward point. I I mean, certainly if you uh, are a supporter of this project, then today is a terrific day to to get this uh, signing of the memorandum of understanding and then to to move this project forward after so many years of debate. It really goes back to 2007, which is when they uh, had a feasibility study that they had. Uh, funded through a Metrolinks grant, I believe, to uh, even look at the possibility of this. So that's, you know, we're going back 14 years till this was first studied. You've spent a lot of time at City Hall. What's the mood now? What's the feeling? Because it's been, it's been pretty wild down there, to say the least, over the years on these discussions. What's the mood like there today? Well, yeah, I mean, there's no question there have been a lot of really divisive debates over the years on this project. But today, um, like any good Thomas Tank Engine episode, I suppose, mm-hmm. everybody uh, came together at the end, and there was a great deal of uh, agreement on things. People who had voted against this project at previous stages came on side today and voted in favor of 
signing the, the memorandum of understanding, then that would account for the 11 to 3 vote. Of course, Brad Clark had indicated that he would be doing that. He had said back in June when he voted against um, going forward to even negotiate the MOU that once the majority of council had spoken and decided to go forward with this project, that he would come on side and, and do his best to help make it a success. And true to his word, he voted for it today. And, and Tom Jackson up on the East Mountain joined him as well. Um, uh, some Some of the same reasons and some different reasons on Tom's part, of course. Uh, I was talking to Larry Deanne, uh, Larry Deanne, former mayor of Hamilton, earlier today and asked him what the turning point was. What, where, what do you think the turning point was as you look back at this? You know, to me, it's with all three levels of government finally coming together. There's really not much you can deny at that point. Yeah, when the provincial government under under Doug Ford came in and, and reinstated the, the $1.7 billion for the project, and then the federal government to match that number to bring it up to $3.4 billion for the construction portion. I mean, that's, the, that, that's pretty hard to say no to. And I have a feeling that in those discussions, Leona played a bigger role than we may ever know uh, through Joe Mancinelli uh, as well. Of course, he's been such a huge supporter of this project. So I think those negotiations and that agreement were, were really a huge turning point. You're right. All right, Ken Mann with us, uh, reporter down at City Hall. He has been watching this since, uh, well, uh, since <laughs> since the grass was just a field, I guess, uh, and now a full blown full blown cornfield. Uh, a lot has happened. A lot of water under the bridge. A lot of train tracks uh, we have crossed. But Ken, you're finally there. Uh, it'll be fascinating now, to wa- It'll be fascinating to watch this going forward. That's right, because now we will we'll see when some of the early work, some of the underground utility work. We're hearing that some of that could begin as soon as next year. And, of course, there'll have to be agreements around the operation of the line um, and and other things as as time goes forward. So that'll be interesting to see. All right. And Ken Mann will, of course, keep us abreast of everything that is going on uh, down at City Hall. I'm going to go off in the background now. There you go. Ken, as always, thanks so much for the time. Greatly appreciate it. You can tend to the dogs now. Uh, Ken, of course, spending his life, it pretty much seems, down at City Hall these days and uh, knows the LRT file well. All right. Coming up after us, Scott Radley is in, host of the Scott Radley Show and columnist for the Hamilton Spectator. He is with us now. Scott, I hope you are doing well. I, I am, although I didn't know we were doing the French debate. Are you? Do we have a translator for that, or are we just no. going to confuse the heck out of people? Well, Ted's going to translate it, but it's going to be from French to Polish to English. There's an extra stage in there, so, you know, I, I'm not sure how he's going to do with that. And I'm not sure Ted is fully coherent in any of those three. So we'll, you know, we'll see where that goes. Actually, I asked Ted earlier on today if he was going to watch the debate, and I think before I even got the sentence out, he said no. Because uh, I'm going to wait and uh, and and watch it tomorrow during the English debate. Which why you know why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you watch that? Uh, that being said, are you going to watch tonight? You um, can record you know it. Uh, unlikely. What I will do is uh, I am I, I I'm watching the local debates, which are on cable 14 and sponsored right. by cable 14 in the spec, and I'm trying to you know uh, because we don't have an incumbent in three of the five ridings in Hamilton. There's a lot of people that we have absolutely no idea who they are, and three of them are going to represent us in Ottawa. And, you know, even though, and I wrote this today in the paper, even though I don't believe that the name on the back of your shirt matters a whit in provincial or federal election, it's the crest on the front, because people vote for the party and they could run Bruno the singing donkey in a certain riding, and if it's the right party, it'll win. Um, but, you know, it's at least good to know who these people are and, and get a sense of who's going to be in Ottawa for us for the next four years, unless Justin Trudeau calls the election in 18 months like he threatened. Do you get the sense that, you know, we're talking, I was talking about this with Larry DeAnne earlier on and Ken Mann as well. Like, obviously, they're, uh, you know, we've got the LRT, the votes come through, but we remember what happened with the link. We remember what happened with the stadium and, and how long it's taken to get here. Do you get the feeling we're seeing a rejuvenation in Hamilton politics, that we are seeing a changing of the guard? We are seeing uh, the results of, of the city growing? Um. That sounds know. like a no. Come on, you have to feel that. You, you well, have to feel that. It, it, the optimism. It depends what the definition of that is. I mean, if it means are we getting new blood in, well, yeah, by definition we're getting some new blood in because three of the five, as I say, federal ridings are going to be new that we don't know about uh, or that, that haven't been there before. 
Uh, so it, by that definition, sure, maybe maybe we are, but you know, uh, we got to hold this this LRT, for example, which you just raised, took what fifteen years, eighteen years to get done. Yeah. How long did the link take? How long did Red Hill Creek take? How long did the stadium take? How long did you know pick your poison? I mean, when when we can have something in the city get done in under a lifetime, <laughs> in under yeah. a generation. Then I will go along with what you're saying and say, yeah, things have changed. But I, I, I have yet to see the evidence that there's real change. Change of faces, but maybe not change of results yet. I think you're going to see it anyway, just as the city grows, as the city ages, new people come in. Uh, you know, And I think we're seeing this already. I mean, I've been here for uh, how long now? But it, it, you, can, you can, I mean, there's moments when you're frustrated and, and you think, oh, man, here we go again. But you can see the fabric of this city changing. Can you not? Oh, oh, oh the, you can see the city changing for sure. Um, well, if the city changes, that has to be the people behind it that are in, that are affecting no, that change. I think it's the other way around. I think I don't think it's the people behind it that are changing it. I think the people are dragging the people behind it to the change. Well, that, I, I guess that's what I mean. The city's changing. The politics are going to have to react. And I don't disagree with that. I'm just not sure we're there yet. I think when you say they have to react, probably, yeah, uh, or else people will get voted out. Um, you know, we'll see what, what, where we're really going to see this. And again, I go back to the federal and provincial thing. I don't care. You know, they talk about bringing in star candidates. There's no such thing. I mean, a star candidate is someone who has name recognition. But if you're a star mm-hmm. candidate for the wrong party in the wrong riding, look, if Pete Diakowski could not win in Hamilton, then it shows you that there's no such yeah. thing as a star candidate. That's a good in, point. In municipal politics is where we're going to see whether or not change is happening. And, you know, we've got this group now that's behind the scenes trying to push out some of the old guard. We'll see. We'll see if any of this happens or or not. Because as much as we hear all these people saying, we want change, we want change, I'm not sure that everybody in the city necessarily wants the change that those screaming for change are pushing for. Well, we're still getting callers today in regard to LRT, still trying to come up with other alternatives, even though, as you've said, we've been, you know, beating this horse for since 2007. So, uh, it's amazing that, that still at this point, there's, there's still people that aren't sure really what way to go, but uh, right. it's done and now and, and vote, there we go. Are they going to vote for the uber progressives now who really, really love this or are the people who are against it going to say, it may not be the same person. If a certain municipal politician isn't running again, I got to vote for someone else. But I want someone who's kind of like them. So I, I, I don't know. We're we're yeah. we're gonna see. We're gonna see next. It's next October that we are really gonna see if what you're saying is true. All right, more on the LRT on the Scott Radley Show tonight. Host of the Scott Radley Show, Scott's been with us, and of course, columnist with your Hamilton Spectator. Thank you, Scott. Have a great show tonight. Thank you, Scott. That is a wrap for ours. Thanks for tuning in. Greatly appreciated. Thanks to Will and, of course, Ted and Lisa and Diana and every, who else? And Scott uh, for participating. Greatly appreciated. Thank you for your calls and your emails as well. We cannot do it without you. And as we always do on Hamilton Today, we are going to end the show by giving you, the listener, the last word. Well, it's all fine and dandy, but, I mean, they're developing these new... Um, computer-driven bus trains, which are essentially just like an LRT, except that you don't need any tracks.